Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Refuge. Uh, Refuge is a safe place for all people to restore and explore their faith in Jesus and his church. If this is your your first time here, we'd like to thank you for being here. Um, There are some cards in the seat in front of you. If you don't mind taking a moment, filling that out and dropping it in that red box so we can connect with you. We promise we're not going to spam you or sell your information. We just want to find ways to connect with you, get to know you, and see how we can serve you. Um, Speaking of staying connected, um, if you want to know what's going on in the church, events, and things coming up, you can text the word text or email to the number on the screen. And you will go on to, I'm assuming, I don't know anything about this. I'm just going off of context clues, if I can be honest. But I'm assuming what's going to happen is you're going to be added to a list with which we keep connected with you. Or something bad. So good luck. May the odds be ever in your favor or whatever. Um, invite people to church. Uh, one invite can uh, change a life forever. Um, nobody really invited me to refuge, but I know coming to refuge saved my life, saved my calling. And um, so bringing people to church, getting people uh, plugged in and connected could change their life. Um, and then uh, finally, if you want to give and support the ministry, um, you can uh, text um, I am so old. 84321. Text any amount to that number. Um, it'll give, you can give that way. You can visit um, uh, refuge.church slash giving and give online. Or if you have uh, cash or check, you can drop it in the safe um, in the back of the room over there. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to pray really quick. And then our speaker is going to come to the stage. <laughs> it's, it's me. Is this in the middle? All right, Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in this church. We thank you. God, I thank you for this series and all that you want to teach us um, through the next few weeks. I pray, Father, that we would hear your word tonight and we would learn how to apply your way of living to our life. I pray that you would just touch me right now, God. I pray that I would say what you want said tonight and that you would change our lives tonight. Lord, I love you and I thank you and amen. So... Last weekend, I wasn't here, but I did listen to Brian's message. But last weekend, I did something kind of interesting. Some could say dopey. And then others, maybe normal people like yourself, might say insane. Um, I did what's called the dopey challenge at Disney World, which is why I have on my well-earned $75 sweater from Disney. Because, you know, yeah, it's worth I earned it. So it, I'm super, I'm super flat. But if you don't know what the dopey challenge is, or you don't are friends with me on Facebook or Instagram, and you didn't follow along, if you did, you witnessed the insanity from a comfortable, safe, pain-free distance. But the dopey challenge is um, there four races in four days, adding up to 48.6 miles. And this is me crossing the finish line. Barely. <laughs> so what it is, is it's a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, and a whole marathon. Back to back to back to back. Yeah, exactly. They say every mile is magic. I can confirm it is not. <laughs> it is not. They, they trick you. They make you think it is. And look at all my medals. I got six of, six of them. 
my mom did the 5K and the 10K with me. And she will be 65 tomorrow. And if you ever wonder where my need for attention comes from, wonder no more. (laughs) So why do I share all of this with you? Well, for one, it kind of brings to mind a meme I've seen on the internet that says, how can you tell if someone ran a marathon? Don't worry, they will tell you. So aside from my fragile ego, there I am crossing the finish line again. I did it. I did 40. Look, you have to walk like two miles to the start line. And then once you cross the finish line, it's like another mile and a half to your car. So I did like 60 miles last weekend. I I earned it. I earned that beer in my hand. So, But I share this with you because something... Something stuck out to me in running these races in the days of the races and this week um, following the races um, is that the human body was not made to run 48.6 miles in four days. And honestly, I don't know that it's made to do 48.6 miles in any amount of time for any reason at any point, given any circumstances. That is just a long way to run. I was in so much at mile 22 of the marathon I was like I could sit down right here nobody would know because I'm still going to get the medals and I could just stop because because these races were set up the way they were my body was missing a key component to function properly and it was rest Not only was my body tired from the exercise and from running and the impact that running is on your body, but I had to be up at 2.45 in the morning to get to Epcot parking lot by 4.45 so that they didn't keep me out of this race that I paid to run. I paid to do this, BT dubs, so it gets crazier and crazier the more you think about it. So I had to be up at 2.45, 3 o'clock in the morning so I could get there and start the race at 5 o'clock in the morning. So my body was tired from the impact and my mind was tired from the lack of sleep. But my body was missing rest. And the most important day, if you're a gym nut or you're not, I'll tell you right now, the most important day in any workout regimen is not back day or leg day or arm day or cardio day. It is rest day. No matter how much Aleve or Tylenol or Icy Hot or BioFreeze or Ace bandages or KT tape that I use, I was in so much pain. My mom and my partner can tell you I was like doing like this after the race. I was hurting. I was blistered. I was in pain. And my body and my mind were begging me to rest. What a strange concept for us to think about because it does not come easily to us. Resting. When we think we're resting, we don't often rest well. When we stop, when we pause on a day off, we're constantly running through a list of things that we need to do. Folding laundry, unloading the dishwasher, loading the dishwasher, paying bills, washing the car, writing a paper, vacuuming, dusting, organizing the garage, taking out the trash, washing the dog, putting away your Christmas decorations. I don't know who needs to hear this, but take down your tree. (laughs) Grocery shopping, cooking, our to-do lists are endless. Does that sound like anybody else's to-do list? Racha. Like, it just is never, never ending. When do you, if this sounds like your to-do list, when do you accomplish this? Just, when do you do it? 
Sunday, on your day off, on your day off, most of us work 30 to 40 to 50 hours a week, five days a week, and we've been so conditioned by Western society and this culture to hurry to spend our day off catching up on work. Laundry is work, don't you know? (laughs) Dishes are work. Paying bills is work. Our list never ends and we keep going and we keep going and we keep going. The verse that is kind of the foundation of our series is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Brian read it last week. I'm going to read it this week and uh, we'll probably come back to it multiple times in this series. And it says this, come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brian talked about this, that idea of a yoke and the yoke Jesus carried, and he shared this quote, and I think it bears repeating because it's so important. It says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Life is a succession of burdens we cannot get away from. Thus, instead of offering an escape, Jesus offers equipment. Over the next few weeks and as we move through this series Brian, David, and myself are going to be giving you the tools and equipment Jesus has on offer to find rest, to find peace, to live in an unhurried way like Jesus lived. And tonight, I'm kind of starting that off with what I think is one of the most important tools in the tool belt, is Sabbath. Anybody heard that word before? Sabbath. What are some ideas, what are some things that pop in your head when you hear the word Sabbath? Rest. That's a good one. What did he say? I don't, I don't need to know. Well, I think we have different, different ideas. I, I don't know what he said, but it was funny, and he's stealing my thunder, so I'm the funny one. I, I went to a comedy club last night, and the opening act was horrible. I leaned over to Annika and I was like, is this what it feels like when I get up and speak? (laughs) But no, you guys laugh at my jokes. But I think we have preconceived notions about the word Sabbath. And the circles I grew up in um, is that I kind of had the idea that Sabbath was the day you go to church. You remember the Sabbath day, you keep it holy by going to church. But, that is, but the Sabbath is so much more than just going to church. Can you go to church on your Sabbath? 100%, absolutely. But it's so much more. It's so much deeper. It's so much more beautiful than just simply a day. It is a practice. Sabbath is a lifestyle. Sabbath is a way. It's a discipline. It's a piece of equipment that Jesus has on offer to us so that we can live and rest. We get the English word Sabbath from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop. 
It literally means to stop and to rest. So what Jesus offers in Matthew chapter 11 is not just rest for our bodies, but rest for our souls. He says, come to me, all you that are weary, and I will give you rest. And I love the second sentence of that verse. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Like I said, Sabbath is a discipline. It's a lifestyle. It's a practice that we have to learn. And when we learn the gentle, humble ways of Jesus, we discover rest for our souls. What's wild to me is that Jesus, when he's speaking these words, he's speaking to a first century people centuries before Facebook, Twitter, iPhones, TikTok, Instagram, iPads, 24-hour news cycles, Hulu, Netflix, YouTube, Amazon. And even these people were restless. You know, I didn't order something off of Amazon the other day because it wouldn't come the next day. And I was like, well, I just don't need it at all. How ridiculous is that? Am I right? What Jesus offers here is not a one-time offer of salvation. They needed rest. These people were even restless without all these things. They were restless even though they had no idea how painful it was to ride an elevator without your smartphone. Jesus isn't telling his listeners in this moment that becoming a Christian means you get to rest and be peaceful all the time. He's saying what he has on offer, what he has to teach, and what we have to learn is a way, it's a lifestyle to be restful people. The innate human restlessness of a first century people has collided with a digital age. And it's caused a culture-wide crisis of unhealth and spiritual death. Have you ever heard this sentence said before? Well, the devil never takes a day off. Anybody heard that? Yeah. Well, last time I checked, he loses. So not really a play out of a playbook we want to take of not taking a day off. Brian touched on this last week, and I talked about it a little bit when I taught on the fruit of the Spirit. And it's in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says this. It was very profound, very deep philosophical moment on Jesus' part where he says, A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. In John 15, Jesus paints a word picture that kind of goes a little bit deeper on how we can produce good fruit. He says, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is saying here is that the fruit of the spirit does not come by way of ambition. It does not come by way of working harder and harder to be more loving and be more peaceful. It does not come through ambition, but through abiding. To remain in, to stay in, to live in, to dwell, to reside. Jesus' metaphor here of a vine and a branch tells us that he wants us to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, 
people. And in order to do that, we must abide in him, live in him, rest in him. When we break a restful connection from the father, the branch from the vine, whether it be through sin, unbelief, hurriness, busyness, we are cut off from God and we can bear no fruit or bad fruit, even worse. And in the place of love, joy, and peace, we find burnout, exhaustion, sickness, compromise, defeat, anger, depression, anxiety, addiction. And this is not what Jesus desires for his follower. This is not a way of life that Jesus wants his people to live. God is not glorified by unhappy, hurried, exhausted people. So if we imagine life in terms of an iPhone, and not because I'm a millennial and that's where my mind goes, uh, if when we're at 100%, we're all the way on the left, right? Your right, my left? Okay. <laughs> I just didn't know if I was confused again. I was like, which way is it? We're restful. You love your life. You love your partner, your spouse, your kids. You're joyful all the time. There's no pressure, no stress, no worry, no anxiety. You're not in a hurry. You're well rested. You didn't get that weird crick in your neck because you're over 30 and your pillow was too soft. But the thing is, is that most people like our phones, we don't stop to rest until we're at a critical point. So we're about 10 to 20%. But let's be real. Nobody lets their phone get to 10 or 20%. You psychopath, charge your phone. It's just madness. The thing is, is that we don't rest until we have to. We don't rest until we're just a little sad face with a weird little tear. And when we do, when we do stop, when we do rest, we don't rest well. We confuse rest with entertainment or distraction. I love that part of that quote that says Jesus isn't offering an escape because how often do we try to escape reality? We try to escape uh, stress. We try to escape all that's going on in our lives. I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure you're with me, that you get off of work and you're like, I just want to go home and watch TV. I watch Criminal Minds to Unwind, which is super weird, I know, but we all have our show Until they took it off Netflix. I was an office girl. I loved it. I just watched it on repeat. But I would get so stressed and overwhelmed. I was like, all I want to do is just turn on my TV and not pay attention to anything or anybody else. That is an escape. We confuse rest with distraction and entertainment. We try to escape it. And sometimes it even goes further. People use drugs and alcohol and different things to escape to escape the stress and the hurriedness of life. We don't rest well. We don't rest for very long. And we just get ourselves up enough to be able to drag ourselves out of bed on Monday morning and scrape by. We live at a management level and we hover somewhere around 40 to 60%. And we just skate by. We're not resting, but we're exhausted. And this is still not what Jesus desires for us, to be at 50%. You wouldn't walk out of the house with your phone at 50%. So why do we 
why do we settle to live at 50%? Jesus offers us a full life. He says this. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came that we would have an abundant, full, happy, healthy, restful life. Or we could read it like this. Hurry comes only to still, steal and kill and destroy. Jesus wants us to have abundant life. Not a hurried life, not a rushed life, not a stressed life, not a tired, weary life, but a full, abundant life. Life full of rest and joy and peace and love. And I go back to this quote. It says, it says, life is a succession of burdens that we cannot get away from. I'm not here telling you that if you start to practice Sabbath, burdens disappear, burdens go away. But you find a way to carry those burdens so that you are not bogged down by stress. And it doesn't eat at you and take away from your spiritual health and your physical health. Jesus didn't call us to be a people who are overworked, stressed, and exhausted. He called us to live an abundant life. Rest is essential to our life in Jesus. When we read Matthew 11, he offers us rest. And we, when we read it in 2023 in our English and we got all of our grammar and it's in chapters and verses and books. But when the Bible was originally written... It was written very close together without, without uh, vowels and without a lot of paper. And it was all squished. And I imagine it looked like an index card that a freshman algebra student tried to fill in all of his formulas and stuff that he didn't care to memorize throughout the week. So he put it on this card and made it very, very tiny to read. I don't think it was that dramatic. But when the Bible was written, it was written without chapters or verses or page breaks or heading. It just flowed. It was just like one big long run on sentence. And so when Jesus stops, when Jesus offers this rest in uh, eleven twenty eight through 30, the next chapter has two stories about the Sabbath. The first is Jesus harvests grain on the Sabbath. So him and his disciples to eat and he's accosted by Pharisees. And again, he heals on the Sabbath. And again, he's approached and confronted by Pharisees. And he turns serve on them about being legalistic about the Sabbath because they said, you're not supposed to work or do anything because they had forgotten the truth and the beauty and the rest and delight that can come through a Sabbath that is done properly. Genesis 1, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning and we're going to look at some theological points to back up what I'm saying. Because you're probably like, Nicole, that's cool. I get you're like some kind of hippie who likes to meditate and Sabbath. But where in the Bible is it? Well, I'm about to drop that knowledge. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jump down to verse 31. This is Genesis 1. God saw everything he made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that was the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested. 
On the seventh day, from all the work he had done, he rested. And so he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God, in this story, rested. Whether you read the creation story as literal or allegorical, the author wants to impress upon us that God rested. God took time to stop. God created everything and still found a day to not do anything. But you don't understand, I've got three kids and they all play sports. God rested, all right? I've got teenagers and they're this, that, and God rested. God stopped. Whatever excuse you might have to not rest, to not practice Sabbath, to not try to learn this way, God rested. He found time in all of his busyness as God to rest. And it's not because he was tired or burnt out from creating all of it. He wanted to take delight in his creation. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's not just about stopping and resting and sleeping in or having an extra cup of coffee. It's about delighting in the abundant life that Jesus has given you. Kind of imagine God on his Sabbath day, just like chilling in the garden, listening to nature that he created, probably hanging out with Adam and Eve and all of his creation, enjoying the cosmos before telescopes could ever see them. Just delighting in his creation, delighting in the garden, enjoying life. Celebrating life, celebrating everything going on around him. What, do, what, what would a day of celebration look like for you? A day of rest to enjoy your life. What would that look like for you? Is it stopping to enjoy nature, going for a walk, going and sitting Outside and just enjoying God's creation, enjoying your partner, enjoying your children. And just like, how do you do that? How do you enjoy your kids? I don't know. See, God worked for six days and then he rested. And by doing this, he built a rhythm into the very fabric of creations because even by stopping on the sixth day, he was still creating something. He was creating a rhythm. And when we begin to go against the rhythm that God created, a rhythm to rest, we start to get splinters. An author named Wayne Mueller wrote a book about Sabbath, and it opens like this. In the relentless busyness of modern life, we have lost the rhythm between work and rest. All life requires a rhythm of rest. There is a rhythm in our waking activity and the body's need for sleep. There is a rhythm in the way day dissolves into night and night into morning. There is a rhythm as the active growth of spring and summer is quieted by the necessary dormancy of fall and winter. There is a tidal rhythm, a deep, eternal conversation between land and sea. Even in our bodies, the heart rests after each life-giving beat. The lungs rest between exhale and inhale. We have lost this essential rhythm. Our culture supposes that action and accomplishment and ambition are better than rest. Doing something, anything, 
is better than doing nothing. Our heart beats and it rests. Our lungs exhale, rest, inhale. God built a natural rhythm of stopping and resting into everything he created. Pioneers on the Oregon Trail who practiced Sabbath on their journey actually arrived before people who didn't. It's a mind-boggling thing to think that people who actually took a full day to stop and not travel arrived somewhere who traveled seven days in a row. That's wild to me because I always just got dysentery. A scientific study on Seventh-day Adventists who practice Sabbath are not only happier people, but they live on average 11 years longer than the average American and even the average Christian who does not practice Sabbath. 11 extra years by just taking one day to rest and worship and delight in the Lord. I can see y'all's faces Some of y'all are like, this is a good idea, but God rested, y'all. This is not just an idea. This is not just me with some hippy-dippy, make-you-feel-good meditation kind of stuff. This is stuff Jesus did. This is a way that Jesus lived. And the reality is, is that when we don't stop, when we don't make time to stop... We suffer the consequences, burnout, anxiety, high blood pressure, heart disease, a poor immune system, brain fog, dementia, exhaustion, disconnect from God, isolation. Our relationships can suffer. We can't fight the rhythm to stop any more than we can fight gravity. We say stuff like, I'll rest when I'm dead. But if we neglect to rest, if we neglect to stop, something will Stop us. CEOs, business moguls who have had strokes or heart attacks say things like, it stopped me in my tracks. Because they didn't recognize the natural rhythm that they needed to implement in their lives. And they just worked, 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 worked. And it was all about ambition and never about stopping. Because if they stopped and did nothing, they would lose. They would fail. Got stopped by something else. Disease and disaster can stop us if we don't take the time to stop ourselves. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that practicing Sabbath means that it's going to cure all your diseases and everything. But it is a tool, it is a piece of equipment to carry the burdens of stress and anxiety and hurriedness and busyness and life that we live. So that we do not get to this point so that we are connected to Jesus. God blesses the Sabbath. When you read the creation story, what does God bless? He blesses three things in the creation story. He blesses animals and tells them to be fruitful and multiply. He blesses humans and tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And then he blesses a day. What does that mean? The Sabbath and their and rest have ability to be life-giving. He blesses animals and humans and tells them to give life unto the earth. Just like Sabbath and rest have the ability to give us life again, to make us peaceful people, loving people, kind people. Rest and Sabbath is life-giving because it's more than just a day we go to church 
but it's a blessed day of intimacy with God. Not only does he bless the Sabbath, but he makes it holy. And what does God make holy? God made time holy. And for the original readers of this text, this would have been kind of a mind-boggling idea that time would be blessed. Because when this was written, gods and goddesses and things uh, that were worshipped, they were found in space, not in time. So usually temples and shrines and mountains would be blessed. But God blesses and makes holy time. He made a day holy because our, our Sabbaths are our great cathedrals, architecture, and time to be intimate with God. Our Sabbaths are not just a day to stop and do nothing, but it is a day to encounter God. God blesses time because he's not just found in a building. God blesses time because he's not just found in a temple. He's found in time. He's found everywhere we are. He can be found right here and right now. He can be found on a trail. He can be found at the beach. He can be found everywhere. And God has blessed that and made it holy. Sabbath is two things. Sabbath is a... Um, command and it is a gift. I want to talk about how Sabbath is a gift. In Exodus chapter 16, the Lord is giving instructions to the people of Israel on how to Sabbath. He basically says, look, I'll give you food for six days and on the sixth day, I'm going to give you double, the, double what you need so that on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day, you don't have to work. But usually like people do, we don't listen People went out on the seventh day to look for food, and this is what the Lord says. He says, some people went, well, he didn't say this part. I'm I'm just going to read some scripture to you and then talk about it. Some people went out anyway on the seventh day, and they found no food. It's like God told you there would be no food, so there's no food. So the Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath day is the Lord's gift to you. This is why he gave you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there will be enough for two days, so that on the Sabbath day, you stay in your place. You don't go out and pick food. So the people did not gather food on the seventh day. The Lord's day is holy and set apart for intimacy from the Lord. And that is such a gift. How often do we keep trying for more and working to more? We feel like we're going to run out. We feel like we're not going to accomplish enough. So just like the Israelites, we go and go and go and go. And on the seventh day, we go out looking for food, but we come up empty because God has told us to rest. It is a gift. When you give somebody a gift, what do you want them to do with that gift? You want them to enjoy it, to experience it, to love it. I love giving get, like tickets to shows and stuff like that as gifts because there's so much experience and joy that comes from that. And Jesus and God has given us Sabbath as a gift, a way to stop and rest and be intimate with him. The Sabbath is also a command. And this command is found in Exodus 20. He says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. 
not so much remember because we forget, but because it's supposed to be a rhythm of our life. Like we don't forget to breathe. We don't forget to eat. We don't forget to walk. But this rhythm of Sabbath is supposed to be like breathing and walking. It's supposed to be a a rhythm of who we are. Exodus uh, 20 verse 8 says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Keeping it holy by experiencing God, by being intimate with God, by resting and stopping and removing hurry and busyness and distraction from that day. He says you have six days each week for your ordinary work. You have six days to get everything done. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest that is dedicated to your Lord. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord has blessed the Sabbath and set it apart as holy. That's probably the nicer way of saying like God rested. He made everything and then he rested. It's kind of wild that Sabbath made the top ten list. Let's look at the other nine real quick. The first is no other gods, no idols, no misusing of the Lord's name. And the number four is remembering the Sabbath. And then it goes on, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. If you look at the progression of the Ten Commandments, I think it's kind of cool, is that how the first three are all about how we relate to God. We don't have any distractions. We don't have any idols. We don't misuse his name. And then we rest. And then we honor our father and mother. We don't kill people. We don't commit adultery. We don't steal. We don't lie. We don't covet. Because we've experienced God. We've been intimate with God. And we've rested. And when we're rested, we're patient people. We're peaceful people. So honoring your father and your mother comes easy. Not killing somebody. I hope comes easy. When you're rested, you are a committed partner. You're committed to your relationships, to your family. The first three are directly related to our relationship with God. We rest and then we love others well. I talked about this a little bit when I talked about the fruit of the Spirit is that we love Jesus. We love ourselves. And out of that is how we love others. If we're not rested, we don't love well. If we're not rested, we take for granted things that Jesus has on offer. When we're not rested, we're just a miserable people. I'm probably one of the most unpleasant person to be around when I'm tired. So you can ask anybody in my life. I'm impatient. I'm angry. I'm short-tempered. But when I'm rested, when I feel like I have been rested and been, and been not just rested and stopped and taken a day off, but when I've been intimate with the Lord, my whole demeanor changes. And that's what Sabbath is about. I'm going to go into some how-tos to kind of help you get ready to start to implement this into your life. It is not easy. I will just be fair and say trying to start to Sabbath is not easy. 
It takes time. It takes practice. It takes learning. And so I want to go through some of those things. But the thing to remember is it's about worshiping and resting with God. Sabbath is a practice I've gotten away from in my life. It's not something that I have really done here recently. It's something that I did a lot um, a couple years ago. But this, this series has really pushed me to find ways to start to Sabbath again and to be intimate with the Lord and to, to work on my relationship with him. And so when I do start to Sabbath, um, I want you to keep these two things in mind. It's a filter that I run things through on the day that I want to Sabbath. Is it restful and is it worshipful? Is it going to bring me rest and is it going to honor God? So resting and stopping are just not going to happen to you and it cannot be spontaneous and you can't just wake up on Sunday morning and be like, I'm going to Sabbath today. Because what happens to, the, to, to you, you, you wake up and you're like, I'm going to rest today, I'm going to worship the Lord and then you walk by the sink in the kitchen and there's cups and bowls. Well, I'll just put some of these away real quick. I'm still, thank you Jesus, I'm praying and singing worship music but you're still putting things away or you walk past the laundry basket and you're like, oh, but if I just fold laundry and sing hymns to Jesus, it's still worshipful. No. See, people who practice Sabbath live the rest of their six days differently and they get stuff done to get to Sabbath so that they can practice Sabbath. It's going to take work. It's going to take practice. But here are some things that I can give you to help you to help you start to move towards that. And there are no rules. That's the beauty of Sabbath. There are no rules. These are just suggestions and best practices. So you start where you are. I'm going to give you some, the homework that I'm going to give you this week is this, is that for 24 hours, take all the social media apps off your phone. Don't go on social media. Don't check your email. Don't do anything that isn't an emergency. Okay. I want to tell you to turn off your phones, but sometimes you just... Uh, they're calling about your warranty and you got to take that call so you can't turn it off completely but remove that distraction that's that's one part of your homework this week is to remove that distraction from your life to aimlessly just scroll through tiktok or instagram or facebook and be present with the people in your life but when you start to do that, you mark a day, you pick out a day. The beauty of refuge is that they have given you a day to Sabbath. And typically a Sabbath starts at sundown. A lot of people have a ritual. They either light a candle, they pray, they sing a song, however their family has chosen to start Sabbath. I think we have such a beautiful rhythm that we come in and we worship corporately together. We go, we dive into the word and then we go out and the sun's down and we get to start our Sabbath. It's sundown to sundown. So don't worry when the sun sets, you can go back on Facebook, but mark out a day. And if 24 hours is too much, it's a lot, start with four or six or eight hours where you remove distractions from your life and you focus on what's around you. That's the first part. Just pick a day. Pick a day. Sundays are a great day to do that for us. 
That's part, Brian told me as I was preparing for this, he said that's part of why we do church on Saturday night is so that Sunday can be about rest and delight and, uh, and joy and enjoying your time and your family. You can also begin your time with a marked moment. Like I said, singing a song. I think we have a great rhythm here. You can read your favorite. What, the way I used to do it when I lived in Ohio is my Sabbath was on Saturday because I worked on Sunday for the church. Is that Friday night I would read uh, Psalms 139. Every Friday night I would, well, not every Friday night. I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you. But when I would remember, I would read Psalms 139 and that would start my Sabbath. And then it's rest and worship. Like I said, I run everything through the filter of is this rest or is this worship? Does it calm and relax me or does it bring me anxiety or stress? If it's the latter, I skip it. Worship, that doesn't mean music or hymns or singing all day. I talked about this a few months ago. When I talked about ways that we can connect with God that are beyond prayer and scripture. You can worship God through walking through nature, through going to the beach, through reading scripture, to memorizing scripture. Reading is worship. Napping is worship. Take a nap on your Sabbath. Sabbath is a gift. If I gifted you a whole day where you could do whatever you want, nap is the top of my list. Napping is worship if it's resting our minds and our bodies and a soul. Sabbath is not a day to catch up on your your Netflix series. You can watch TV, sure, but don't just mindlessly sit there to escape Find ways to engage your family, engage people in your life. Find ways to take delight in the Lord. One of, the, one, of the, one of my favorite things to worship God with is a hot cup of coffee. I just sit there and I think, mm, thank you, Jesus, for a coffee bean. <clears throat> and you have to prepare. Now, I know that this, I'm just throwing a lot of this stuff at you, but you have to prepare the days before your Sabbath. And a lot of that means getting laundry done, getting the dishes done, cooking if you want a cooked meal, because a lot of people don't cook on their Sabbath. That's stressful. Some people do cook on their Sabbath because they love to cook. It's, it's, there's, like I said, there's no rules. It's specific to you. I will never, ever bake on the Sabbath because baking is of the devil. I just, it's... <laughs> too much do what is restful for you but we need to be prepared to go into our sabbath to do no work so the second part of the homework that i'm going to give you tonight is one all distractions off our phone no social media for 24 hours and the other one i think you're going to like this is no chores amen hallelujah get the pentecostal holy ghost in you no chores And if you do it tomorrow, great. Pick out a day. I don't know what works for you, but no chores. That means if there's dishes undone in the sink, they stay there till the sun goes down. If there's a laundry basket of unfolded laundry, it means it stays there till the sun goes down. You don't do anything that causes... Laundry causes me so much stress and anxiety. Like, why do I have so many clothes and why are they always dirty? I need to go talk to my therapist. 
So those, that's your homework. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come up. And we're going to sing this song. And it's so funny. I was listening to this song yesterday. And I was like, man, this would be such a great song to end on. And then I was like, I wonder what we are ending on. And it was this song. This song is talking about how we love Jesus. And I think this is such a perfect way to go into a Sabbath or to get our minds and our hearts ready to find a place of rest and peace with the Lord. You might have to work tomorrow, so you can't Sabbath tomorrow. But tonight, can we just practice resting in the presence of God? Tonight, can we just stop, put our phones down, spend the next six minutes or however long they sing this song for, and just delight in the Lord, delight in Jesus and all that he's done for us. For the next six minutes, just rest. You don't have to stand if you want to sit, if you want to lay down. I don't know if you are brave enough to do that. But whatever feels restful and worshipful to you as we close out our service, I encourage you to do that.